Iram Chanu Sharmila, who is known as the Iron Lady of Manipur. She had formed a new political party named People's Resurgence and Justice Alliance, also known as Praja, just few months before the 2017 Manipur State Assembly elections. Iram Sharmila, who had become an internationally known figure owing to her 16-year-long past to get the Armed Forces Special Power Act, also known as AFSPA, get repealed in Manipur. She had been claiming that AFSPA, which gave armed forces sweeping powers, had reportedly led to countless human rights abuses, including at least 1,528 cases of alleged fake encounters that are still pending in the court. During her 16-year-long fast, she was made to ingest liquids and nutrients through a tube in her nose. Her photo with her nasogastric tube was seen on the front page of most of the global newspapers when she ended her fast in July 2016. She thought that her fast had failed to achieve anything other than international awards and media coverage, and only way she could achieve her goal of repealing AFSPA was by entering into the electoral politics. So, she announced her candidature for 2017 Manipur Assembly election from the constituency of the incumbent Chief Minister O Ibobi Singh. Just four years before, Arvind Kejriwal had made a major upset in Indian politics by defeating Congress heavyweight Shrimati Sheila Dixit on her home turf, and Kejriwal was active on the national politics scene for only for three years before he took a plunge in the electoral politics. And here. We had a person who was celebrated across the globe, who was fighting the establishment on Gandhian principles. The national media had turned Praja's foray into electoral politics as an event that would transform Manipur politics forever. On 11 March 2017, the counting of votes began in the state of Manipur. While watching the results on TV and continuously refreshing the counting reports online, I wanted to see. how the world's longest hunger striker would do in the elections iram sharmila a woman who had fasted for 16 years for people's rights received total of 90 votes from the people of her state yes you heard it right not even 100 90 another candidate of the party a muslim woman named najima bibi who had fought court cases for the rights of over 1000 women of her locality and ran a shelter home for the victims of domestic violence and destitute women received just 33 votes the harvard educated convener of praja irando lichombam who had previously worked with the world bank and undp did a little better and got 573 votes This number were a sobering reality check of just how electoral politics worked in India. That evening, I was reflecting over those results. It was disheartening to realize that people who had dedicated their lives to serving others did not even get votes from the people whom they had directly helped. A person who was called the Iron Lady of Manipur and had been referred to as an icon of public resistance in New York Times, getting 90 votes. it came as a shock to me it seemed like to the people of manipur she represented a spent force who knew little about politics and had somehow betrayed the cause by ending her fast over the decades several individuals 
with remarkable passion have hoped to disrupt how politics is done in india they have tried to win elections without the use of money and muscle power without appealing to people's caste and religions and without compromising the ideals of their movement but in most cases they have failed just as miserably as irom sharmila did i have come to realize that there is no clearly defined path for success in politics and not many people truly know what it actually entails even though the lives of everyone living in a democratic country are constantly impacted by politics very few understand how it functions and how politicians succeed or fail for most careers there are guides that you can read and people that you can talk to but not for politics the only other career that comes close to politics in terms of uncertainty and risk is entrepreneurship and that too has an abundance of books podcast and articles to guide people along the way anyone who tells you that personality cult is a sure shot ticket to glory in politics must not have heard about amitabh bachchan or for that matter any bollywood star who tried his or her luck in the politics so what it takes to win an election three c's cash casting and communications what are this let's find out first c cash so you are interested in fighting an election how much money do you have in the bank i mean just consider a single political event the posters hoardings order with audio systems to make announcement for the meeting the rent for a venue rental for chairs fans printing of flyers the arrangements for refreshment and water sound system led screens taxi rentals and the salaries of people to manage all this a single rally is equivalent to a middle class marriage function back of an envelope calculation will show you that a rally may cost anything from rupees 10 lakhs to rupees 20 lakhs for an assembly election candidate needs to arrange around 10 to 15 rallies apart from on ground events the party also spent crores on advertising on digital platforms the cost of tv advertisements newspaper ads often on the front page radio broadcasts social media advertising and the expenditure in creating all of this would shock most voters According to filings with the Election Commission of India the BJP spent 1264 crores on the 2019 general election campaign while the Congress spent 820 crores this figure does not include amount spent by individual candidates within their constituencies and it obviously does not include any expenditure using black money other sources estimate the same expenditure to have been multiple times higher than what was reported to the election commission even if we disregard unofficial estimates and focus solely on the filings made by the political parties it becomes clear that at least 4 crore is required per constituency beyond the money spent on advertising and in campaigns crores are distributed directly to voters in the form of cash precious metals and liquor it is not just a commonly stated adage it is a fact that is proven by election commission every time an election takes place during 2018 karnataka assembly elections the combined efforts of election commission the income tax department and the police in karnataka led to the seizure of liquor cash and gold worth over 
170 crores. In recent times, raids on Kanoj perfume trader made quite a noise. What comes as a major surprise to many people is that no party is too bothered about such confiscations. The only explanation for part is not caring about this confiscated amounts like the 170 crore seized in Karnataka is that this represents a fraction of the total amount being spent on the elections. Once in a while, our democracy gives surprises too when candidates win over the political giants without breaking the bank, like in a recent Punjab election where incumbent CM Charanjit Singh Chenni was defeated in Bhador Assembly last seat by Aap's Lap Singh Ugok. Even the strongest of the leaders and the richest of the businesses have in the end failed to completely control political outcomes in India. Nothing is permanent in politics. You need to be flexible to garner votes and win elections. Which brings to second C, casting. Everything politicians do is to fulfill one straightforward goal, to win an election. There are many politicians who want to do good work and help people in their constituencies. But these are still ancillary functions. The primary goal of a politician is always to win elections. Several of them strongly believe that the end justified the means. But more than anything, they understand the rules of the game. They understand exactly what rising up in the politics entails. And believe that if they didn't play the game the way it needed to be played, then someone else would. And that person would win. So when you hear a national leader utter words like, Hum nafrat ki nahi, pyar ki radniti karne aaye hain. You can very well assume that the person doesn't have what it takes to make up a name on the national stage. There are only a handful of politicians who can win an election from their constituencies as independent candidates. And there are very few who can win no matter which party they contest from. Regardless of what estimation most MLAs and MPs give about their own strength in the region, they usually know that they won't win if they don't get the ticket to contest from the right party. All the elections which BJP has won since 2014 Lok Sabha elections and including those of 2014 elections are prime examples of how valuable a party's ticket is. Many of the people who won from BJP during these elections had little or no local support or name recognition. They are MPs and MLAs today only because the BJP gave them a ticket to contest. The voters voted for the party to help Modi ji win. Since the senior leadership of a party makes all decisions regarding ticket distribution, party members treat them with a mixture of reverence and psychopancy. This is why so much praise is heaped upon the top leadership after every success and why even the most absurd of their actions are rigorously defended by party members. Once this battle for ticket is over, the next step is to actually win elections. In Indian politics, a key component of victory is identity politics. The caste and religious dynamics at play are central to most elections. So are regional and linguistic sentiments in some states. The divide in society along caste and religious lines does not seem like something that's going to disappear anytime soon. And I have come to accept that it's a persistent part of Indian politics and maybe even politics across the world. Many regional parties have a religion-based identity. 
The major problem with such parties is that they often have to rely upon a sense of victimhood to keep their votes unified. To create this feeling of victimhood, leaders identify an enemy against whom the group can be unified. This is where a large part of US President Donald Trump's political success comes from. His campaign identified the fear that certain religion produced in the minds of Trump's core supporters and magnified the threat that followers of the said religion posed to the American way of life. Trump doubled down on the campaign rhetoric even when he received widespread criticism from liberal Americans because he knew that his message resonated with the people who were going to vote for him and that liberal Americans wouldn't vote for him even if he dropped such rhetoric from his campaign. This is a strategy often used in Indian politics where winning election requires much less than half the total votes polled. Take recent development of farmers' agitations. The three farm bills were, were an important policy reforms needed for overhauling the agricultural sector. However, after persistent agitations by farmer groups, Modiji rolled back those farm laws. It helped BJP to put on a good show during UP elections as people took Modiji's action not as a sign of weakness but a sign to cast the policy for public's demand. Third C is communication. 4.1 million, 16.76 million and 17.9 million. Those are the numbers of followers BJP has on YouTube, Facebook and Twitter respectively. Compared to them, Congress has 1.85 million YouTube followers, 5.7 million Facebook followers and 8.4 million Twitter followers. Imagine both the parties send a high to their followers. It is apparent that if you are using any one of those platforms then prob probability of you receiving high from BJP is way higher than that of Congress. Then there is this messaging juggernaut called WhatsApp with over 487 million active WhatsApp users in India, the country represents the largest market for the Facebook-owned messaging platform. The application has become an indispensable part of several people's lives and group chats on the platform have become one of the primary ways in which political parties communicate with the voters. WhatsApp experience for an average Indian voters as compared to the urban elite is quite different. To an elite being added to the group is a nuisance. But for normal people across rural and urban India, they loved being added to WhatsApp groups. Most voters believe that being added to political WhatsApp group gives them access to some kind of insider information. Instead of being irritated by the messages, they read them with gusto in the belief that they were receiving information from a credible source. If they received a message on the increase in the speed of rural electrification, or on how the Nehru Gandhi family had lied about their educational background or citizenship. They read them with great interest. The feeling was that they were receiving information that few others were aware of. Another medium of mass communication, TV news channels, have altogether lost their image of being unbiased. Unit economy of news channels is so brutal that channels find it hard to produce reports based on investigative journalism Instead, channels find it profitable to carry out debate shows with controversial topics like farmers' protest, CA protest, hate speech, hijab rose, etc. 
which polarizes society but achieves intended voter mobilization. Narratives build brands and strong brands win elections. All leaders make gaffes, but only one is called Pappu. All parties provide welfare schemes, but only one party is called Socialist Party offering freebies. All parties have their religion and caste-based vote bank, but only one is called fascist and divisive. Contrary to popular belief, a party's ideology is mostly immaterial when it comes to governance. Ideological considerations are limited to speeches and drafting of party documents. What defines the action of a party are the communities they must cater to in order to win the elections. So, which party is best to make a political career in India? For anyone who wants to achieve something positive through politics, the right question is not which party is the best. The logical question is in which party they can survive for the longest time. All of India's parties have done something good for the country and all of them might have done some absolutely terrible things too. There isn't an absolute good party and the nation's politics makes it hard for such party to achieve success in any case. The right way to choose a party therefore is to evaluate which party's rhetoric and actions are the least offensive to them so that they can stay in it long enough to reach a position of influence to bring about change. It is only through this process where success comes before an attempt to transform the system that an individual or even a new party can hope to achieve anything. The only question that remains is whether the critical mass of qualified well-meaning people required in the politics will actually choose to enter politics. And if they would, whether they would retain their desire to do good after joining the system and reaching a position of influence. These are some serious questions to ponder. That's it from Mo Mayan Manat. Goodbye.